But what we want to encourage is to encourage our clients to start looking at other types of signals uh, and behaviors that might indicate that the campaign is being successful. That's Kevin Liang, Director of Solutions at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode of the Digiday podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Kevin about programmatic account-based marketing, the best practices and missteps B2B marketers need to know. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kamiko McCoy, senior marketing reporter here at Digiday. So Kamiko, for us in New York, it is officially freaking cold. Um, fall has definitely come upon us. And my God, my building heat like literally just turned on and I am feeling fall. Like it is in full effect. How is it down your way? So I am in Atlanta where it is also cold, but in the South, there's this thing where like it goes, it's not, it's not actual fall yet. It's like preliminary fall, preliminary winter type deal. Mm-hmm. So I haven't turned on my AC. I mean, I haven't turned on my heat. If I turn on my AC, it'd be a popsicle. My God. I haven't turned on my heat just yet because I feel like I'm going to get tricked in two weeks yeah. when it goes back up to 80. Yeah. I can't even pull out my good leggings. That's like kind of how it was up here for like the past couple of weeks. And it like, it decided to be 40 and now it's just that. Like it is just officially 40 degrees. Um, but my old ass radiator has officially kicked on. And so I feel like <laughs> we're there. But anyway, let's let's talk about today's episode. Your guest was Chobani's CMO, Thomas Renice. And you guys are, I think, talking a little bit about AR VR, which augmented reality, virtual reality, I think especially with AR, my scope of understanding of what that is, is really limited to like those Snapchat filters, um, maybe that dates me a little bit. But I am curious, like, if you're using those things as a marketer to try and engage with young people, what does that look like? Well, Kaylee, I'll tell you this. We have moved way beyond the Snapchat filters with the dog ears that that the millennials uh, grew up with. I'm dating myself here. The millennials grew up with. um, But in a digital marketplace that's getting, one, harder to stand out in, um, and two, more interactive, I think what we're seeing is Chibani and and brands like it make this push to be more interactive, to create a, I guess, a better relationship with the people that are shopping with them. And especially for Chibani, it's a Greek yogurt brand that has expanded beyond yogurt. You've got um, their their creamers, you've got um, oat milk and things like that. So they're, they're really trying to create like a brand presence and solidify themselves in the space. Um, when I talked to Thomas, he said... This is Chobani's push to into marketing, something that they that they haven't um, had as heavy of a presence in, just because um, Chobani had such that word of mouth marketing strategy um, before. And so now to to better solidify themselves in the market, get in touch with Gen Z, get in front of Gen Z. Um, they've they've done some AR VR um, activations, not by Snapchat, um, but by a filter uh, that comes to you via QR code. So. Now that AR VR is more accessible, um, you know, you, you see brands like Chimani getting into that space. Fascinating. Well, I will say I am sipping on some of their uh, sweet cream creamer right now in my coffee. So the AR Princess. has become, it's very much IRL, not just AR. I will let you guys get into it. Yeah, take it away. 
Hello, and welcome to the Digiday podcast. Today, we have Thomas Rainice, who is Chobani's new CMO. Hi, Thomas. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kamiko. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Fantastic. We're so excited to have you. I know you only came into this role in August, so super honored that you're spending your October talking with us. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to be here. But yeah, it's been a hot minute, so I'm excited to chat. Fantastic. How's the experience been so far? Delicious, as I like to say. (laughs) Absolutely delicious. I think I'm on my 37th flavor of Chobani yogurt and just trying every single product. Um, There are many to try, many more than I even realized when I was interviewing for the role. Um, But yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind. Um, And and then we can talk about this, but it has felt much more like a tech company than a CPG company, um, which has been very familiar (laughs) for me. Yeah, because you have you have a, ba- a background that kind of extends the extends the spectrum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. And I spent the last you know nearly fifteen years um, in marketing leadership roles at Uber and Google. So yes, it actually feels a lot more like those companies than maybe what a Pepsi or a General Mills might feel like. Although I've never worked at those companies. Yeah, it's an exciting experience, kind of coming from that background into the CPG food space. So, talk to me a little bit about kind of what are, I guess, your marketing plans as you conquer this new endeavor. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it has been about you know a couple months now, so I'm still formulating those plans, as you might imagine. Um, but you know, I think I think the the goal is to first of all help people realize that Chobani is much more than a yogurt company. Um, right. We like to talk of ourselves as a modern food company. Um, we've extended beyond Greek yogurt into the categories of creamer and oat milk, and we have a lot more things up our sleeves. Um, and so we really like to think of ourselves as, you know, a better food company than we are just a Greek yogurt company. And so helping the world see that and that our mission is to bring good food to all. Um, so I think that's kind of like my overarching kind of, you know, brand positioning goal, um, which will be, you know, an objective I have to work on for the next several years. As you know, it doesn't uh, happen overnight to sort of shift perceptions for a brand that's this well known and frankly, this loved. Um, but I think when you kind of get down to it in terms of like, you know, the actual marketing function, I mean, there's a couple of things like one is I need to build the marketing muscle. Um, it's been an organization that has grown by pure feat of having an incredible, innovative, disruptive product and a a brand built by the love of the founder and his vision and his belief in packaging and how we went to market in very unconventional ways. Again, you know, very, very similar in some ways to Google, which we can talk about. Um, And so it's really now time to build a marketing muscle, right? What does it mean to actually do marketing as Shobani? And how might we think about that in a less traditional way than the CPG category, which I think is why they hired me. Um, and then when it comes to the business, we need to drive growth for these products. So we're in many more products than just Greek yogurt. Our Greek yogurt platform in and of itself is quite diverse, um, from our core Greek yogurt to zero sugar yogurt to drinks. And so how do we help people sort of see and enjoy and engage with those products? You know, and I think then the third goal for me is to stoke love for the brand. You know, it's, it's an incredible brand. That's why I'm here. It's one with, with amazing heart and passion, um, both for the product, but also for the world around us. Um, and I think people, people know the story of our founder and his you know, incredible purpose and humanitarianism, and they know our product and you know, have so many people tell me they eat it every day, they love the product, but how do we connect the dots on those things and help Chobani become a love mark? You know, a brand that's sort of in their lives in bigger ways than just sort of at the breakfast table. Um, and I think that's the goal because that, as you know, will sustain growth and sort of preference and, you know, really a kind of healthy future for, for the company 
uh, if we do that well. Absolutely. And like you said, you come from some pretty strong brands. So curious, kind of what do you plan to take from your background? How do you translate those skills from the tech sector into this new food CPG sector? Yeah, great question. I mean, so I love talking about just the similarities between particularly Google and Chobani, right? So I joined Google in 2010, you know, it was about probably at that point, um, 10, 12 years old. In a very similar state, so Chobani is now 15 years old, which people don't realize we've been around that long and really transformed the, the Greek yogurt category. But you think about Google and you think about some of the similarities to Chobani. First of all, founder-led, right? Incredible visionaries with incredible heart too, by the way. Larry and Sergey are incredibly value-driven, mission-oriented. I mean, Hamdi is the epitome of that. Um, both companies created a product that was innovative or disruptive in its space, right? Kind of challenged people's conventions around kind of what it was to sort of use the web, what it is to think about yogurt. I mean, it's very interesting to think about search and yogurt. I mean, being similar, but like very similar, like really innovative product and product obsessed, right? They have both founders, they, they all obsess about providing the best experience for their users. Um, the brand grew not because of marketing, right? If anything, Google didn't really invest in marketing for over a decade, which is a bit ironic for a company that sells advertising, but didn't really think about marketing as a necessary uh, tool for growth because the product was so innovative itself and had early adoption and momentum. But the brand became a reflection of the founder's vision and their personalities. You think about the search bar, right? And the simplicity of what Larry and Sergey brought to Google and the clarity that that provided to the user in this kind of very messy kind of form formulating web. Um, well, that's kind of what Hamdi did with, with yogurt. He kind of provided this incredibly differentiated cup that went on the shelf to challenge people's idea of what yogurt was and what that physical experience could be in a very refreshing, very clear, very emotive kind of um, design. And so the brand was built based on that, right? And so you have this incredible brand, but not because there was a brand strategy. It was just really the vision of, of the founder. And then when you think about where you go from there, so, I mean, we talked a lot about this when I was at Google, it was all about launch and iterate, right? Which in the software space, you can do very easily, right? Put out new features, put out new products. Um, and as a result, you can sort of see what works and kind of invest in those things that have momentum and then deprecate the ones that don't. Well, really interesting for packaged good companies, but that's kind of how Chobani has done innovation for the last 10 years. It's like continue to sort of, you know, create new, incredibly nutritious, delicious products, put them on the shelf, see if people like them. And if they do, you know, grow distribution, invest in the marketing and kind of off we go. And if they don't, we take them off the shelf and we kind of move on, which is a really, you know, very different and much more agile way of working in the CPG category. So all those things are very similar. And again, like I started, you know, didn't really invest in marketing, really invested in design, packaging, right? And really have a legacy and a pedigree of doing that very well. Um, but now it's time, right? So like Google, 10, 12 years in, you want to grow, you want to enter new markets, you want to enter new platforms, you actually have a lot more to offer than just search. I mean, Google is so much more than a search company. Um, and Jobani is now at that same stage. And so how do we think about what marketing can do to help the company and the brand get to new yeah. heights? Absolutely. Which leads to you guys' most recent activation, which is with, I love it when a plan comes together, which is what <laughs> you guys have done with the AR um, in time for Halloween. So talk to me a little bit about this latest campaign. You've got the Chibani Flip where people can scan a QR code and get an AR experience. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So this was an incredibly successful project. I take zero credit for it because I arrived and the team had given birth to this, I think this incredible initiative. And I think an example of the kinds of things that I want to see us do a lot more of going forward. 
Um, and so, yeah, so it's called Halloween Flip. Flip is the product. It's this incredible, um, nutritious and delicious uh, snack yogurt product where you flip the dry ingredients into the yogurt. And so we have incredible flavors from Coco Loco to cookies and cream, um, you know, key lime pie, I mean, just really fun flavors for the family. And we wanted to reposition the product from being kind of an adult snack to a, of basically food that's fun for the whole family. And so Halloween just became this incredible opportunity because who thinks of yogurt when they think of Halloween? And so again, thinking about being very unconventional, here we are bringing Halloween to the yogurt aisle. Um, we created an entirely new packaging to wrap around the, the four packs to bring kind of the Halloween fun and delight to, to, the, to the consumer. Um, and then we created a QR code with an AR experience. So you can do virtual trick and treating. Um, and so everyone gets a prize from, you know, phone screensavers to stickers and hats to mini fridges stocked full of flip yogurt. Um, and so we've taken the whole experience based on the product with the new packaging and brought it into the virtual world to connect people and interact with Giovanni brand. Absolutely. Which, I mean, is really exciting. AR right now and, and VR, for that matter, is a really, really big space. So talk to me kind of about some of the benefits. Um, what kind of drew you guys toward, you know, working in, in the AR VR space? Yeah. So Chobani has done a number of these things in the past. I mean, I think about a year ago, as we were introducing oat milk to the world, um, we created a Roblox metaverse experience for people to experience and engage with oat milk, particularly to engage a younger audience. And I think that's going to be a, one of the, the things that I think about, too, as we move forward, which is, you know, it's 15 year old brand. How do we actually make sure we stay relevant for, for Gen Z and, and younger folks? And so. Um, so I think the metaverse and AR is kind of a way to extend the brand. But, you know, again, thinking a little bit outside the CPG box, I mean, the shopping experience in store is still so critical. And frankly, we can't overlook that. And I think there's some really interesting things we can continue to do there. And that's why the packaging for Halloween Flip was so, so um, exciting because you brought this kind of burst of Halloween to the yogurt aisle. But now how do we take that back home? And frankly, the shopper is not the consumer, right? So if you have the whole family enjoying this product together, particularly young people, how do we actually give them a way to experience and interact with Chobani, right? And what is Chobani? Again, back to one of my early objectives, it's more than just the product. We have to be a brand that's relevant in people's lives and this gives you a way to interact. And so AR obviously gives us a lot of interesting ways to play with a brand and to engage with people and people of all ages and all experiences in all parts of the, the country at any time. Yeah. I think what I'm seeing and hearing from you about Chobani is there's this progressive step into the experimental space with the AR, the VR, the metaverse, and things like that. So curious, is AI um, or, or any other aspects of Web3 kind of on the radar for you guys? Great question. Um, I mean, I think everyone's asking that question and sort of trying to figure out what, what, what role does it play in marketing and, and um, how, do we, um, how do we use it in ways that are both appropriate but effective. And so I don't, I don't think we have a clear strategy on that, but I'm pretty excited about it. So I did a short-term gig before I started at Giovanni um, and we use MidJourney quite a lot in thinking about creative development in the conceptual stage, which is something that I'd love to see us start to do a bit more of at Jobani. And so that's more of an internal side, like how do we use some of the AI tools? Um, I think there's got to be really interesting ways to think about AI when it comes to measurement and modeling for different impacts and predictability of, of our you know, uh, marketing effectiveness. So there's some things like that which are more internal in nature. I don't know yet from a consumer and shopper experience. I mean, as we think about 
you know, personalizing those experiences, helping people discover new products, maybe creating even bespoke menus or recipes that people might want to use with their products. I imagine, you know, there'd be quite a lot of things we can do, um, but you know, early days for everyone and very early days for us on that one too. Yeah. And not for nothing, there's a lot of unknowns in that space that I think <laughs> has people a little apprehensive to kind of go full-fledged toward it. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we walk in cautiously, but, you know, I think the culture at Giovanni has been one that's embraced innovation. Um, it's been very agile, fast to move, very quick to sort of challenge the conventions of the category. And I think we have a lot of um, love and respect from our retailers because of that, because we can do things that some of the bigger food companies just can't. Um, and that's how we've grown. And so I, I kind of want to make sure we keep that flame alive when it comes to the marketing team, right? Continually embracing innovation and trying new things and seeing what works and what doesn't work and being okay with that. And um you know, finding ways to engage with our consumers and where they are. And I think we have to be careful on this one, right? Like, are consumers ready for AI when it comes particularly in their food, right? Obviously, I'm not talking about AI in the food, but like when it comes to the food category, right? How do we think about the readiness of the consumer to really experience something, you know, using artificial intelligence? Yeah, I don't even know what AI in my food would look like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do on the Digiday podcast. We come up with ideas in real time. Um, here's a fun question for before we move away from from Halloween. Um, obviously, right now the landscape has a lot going on, bursting at the seam when it comes to AR, VR, AI, data, measurement, and a slew of other things. In honor of spooky season, what is the scariest part of being a marketer right now? Oh, that's a great question. I love it. Um, look, I mean, I think as much as marketing has evolved, you know, since the fifties, <laughs> we think about you know, the, the Madison Avenue day of, of advertising. And as much as, you know, digital marketing has accelerated, um, you know, not, not just over the last several decades, but even the last five years with COVID and thinking about how it's accelerated just for the CPG category and the, the retail and grocery category, I think it's still so hard to know what works and how to measure success. Um, you know, this, this question, I think, is the eternal question. It's the one that I think should keep every CMO up at night. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's just no silver bullet for how you measure something. And there's an art and a science that frankly, I think needs to be preserved and balanced because the art is as, as, as beautiful and as effective of what makes marketing marketing. Um, but how do you bring more rigor and measurement to that? And I think the challenge becomes in the wrong hands, you become very hyper-focused on things that may be myopic and what really drives long-term brand health and growth and might have short-term impact or even overemphasized, right, the short-term impact you're having uh, at the expense of some other objectives longer term. Um, and so I think that's the thing that I still, you know, I love I love the challenge of that, but that's definitely the thing that, that I struggle with, particularly in a company that wants to continue to grow and invest in marketing new ways. How do I make that case and feel confident of it in a way that helps us actually do the right things? We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by StackAdapt, we speak with Kevin Liang, the company's director of solutions, about programmatic account-based marketing, the best practices and missteps B2B marketers need to know. Typically, in terms of best practices, we try to encourage our clients to be a little bit more broad uh, at the upper funnel and potentially be open to making changes to you know, who's going to be part of that upper funnel engagement strategy. In terms of retargeting, what we'd like to do is we'd like to drive engagement across a larger audience segment. 
we'd like to look at the engagement and measure that back to specific companies or decision makers. And then we want to build a personalized retargeting strategy to then further drive engagement. One example of a strategy is using retargeting in the middle of the funnel and adding some type of blend of personalization. Perhaps your retargeting ad will make mention of some of the services that the user engaged with online, right? So if the user looked at a product that was a CRM product, for example, perhaps the retargeting campaign can be personalized with an ad that says something to the effect of looking to solve CRM problems, find out how this product can, can help you, right? So we find that adding some personalization to that retargeting funnel can be really, really effective. And then what we want to do in terms of that final lower funnel conversion is put a creative together that is explicitly driving some type of call to action. With B2B marketing, not only is the personalization aspect of ad targeting different, but the buying cycle is much longer than that of B2C or D2C marketing. With that in mind, teams need to ensure they're adjusting their performance measurements in addition to their expectations. One misstep that we commonly see is that Oftentimes, we are perhaps over-indexed on a final outcome, such as a form fill or a lower funnel, another type of lower funnel conversion, right? But when we think about B2B and B2B sales in general, we, we understand that the life cycle for B2B buying decisions is often very long. And at, at the longest end of this, this can be anywhere between 12 to 18 months, right? So if we're running a campaign, oftentimes you're not going to be able to see the immediate impact of advertising and impressions being shown to uh, buyers uh, with an actual outcome like a conversion. But what we want to encourage is to encourage our clients to start looking at other types of signals uh, and behaviors that might indicate that the campaign is being successful, right? So rather than just looking at how many form fills were uh, completed by the end of the campaign, one thing that we, we might want to do is look at how this campaign actually impacted readership patterns, right? So if you are selling a specific product and after a campaign is run, we notice that for the, for the users that we engage, there is an uptick in readership or interest or curiosity around those products. Then for a specific stage of the campaign, we might qualify that as very, being very successful. You've been listening to Kevin Liang, Director of Solutions at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. So we're moving past October in spooky season and into Thanksgiving, Christmas, other holidays. So kind of curious, what's Chibani's approach for that? Are we planning to dive into those holidays similar or what does that look like? Yeah, good question. Probably can't say too much yet. I mean, it has been only 10 weeks, and so I'm still formulating the plans with the team. Um, you know, we think about the holidays, and we think a lot about just the communities that we serve. I mean, Hamdi is a, is an incredible humanitarian and, and visionary and really believes we can change the world one cup of yogurt at a time. And that it's really much more than the cup of yogurt. It's how we make the cup of yogurt. And so that starts with treating our our employees and our suppliers with great love and respect, but then thinking about the communities that we live in and how we're impacting those. And so just actually in October during um, UN Hunger Hunger Day, I guess National Hunger Day, International Hunger Day, um, we launched a, a new initiative called Let's Eat Week to actually take yeah. on child hunger um, because 9 million, 9 million young people go 
hungry in this country every day, which is incredible for the wealthiest country in the world. Um, and so as a food company and one that's really trying to spread the love and bring good food to all, um, we, we really believe it's our responsibility to, to, to play a part in solving that problem. So as you think through to the holidays and beyond, like how do we think about the ways we show up with purpose and heart at a time of, um, of, of reflection and, and celebration when not everyone perhaps has even a, a meal on the table? And so that's something, you know, certainly we'll, we'll be thinking about. Um, in addition to how do we sort of bring more, you know, surprise and delight to the grocery aisle, which is which is important to drive, you know, love for the brand and drive sales. Uh, but it's connecting all those things that I think is part of what we need to think about going forward is making sure purpose and product feel like they're connected. And so people understand that this vision and this great heart of the company and the founder is connected to an incredible product. And that product is what fuels the ability for us to have an impact in the world around us in a way that should hopefully um, allow people to feel good about eating our product and eating our yogurt every day. I want to dig into further into the idea of purpose. I think it was like a big to-do maybe last year and the year before, the idea of brand purpose and every brand having like a stance and things like this. So curious, how do you manage brand purpose while also managing profitability? Kind of you know, gets at the heart of a CMO's job. Yeah, you know, purpose became such a focus during COVID for obvious reasons. And a lot of the work that I led at Uber, and I also led social impact in addition to marketing, was very much about figuring out how the company can show up at a time of need for not just the the, the people on our platform, our drivers in particular, but but for the communities around us. Um, but I think there was a bit of a backlash, you know, following COVID as well, where it felt like folks, maybe the pendulum had swung too far, right? And it wasn't wasn't about the business anymore. It was just about um, you know, showing your values. And frankly, there was a lot of just lipstick on the pig around this, right? And it was a lot of um, just uh, very shallow work being done versus kind of true meaningful commitment. So, so I think there's, I think there's a, the right amount of backlash, frankly, because I think it's the right conversation to have. But I've always believed that, first of all, purpose needs to come from the heart of the company, needs to be true to the values, and those values need to be connected to your product and your business. It's about what you make and how you make it. And if it doesn't start there, then it is, it is just, you know, performative, um, and so that's why when you think about what we do and taking on child hunger, first of all, it's about treating our employees with the most respect. I mean, we have higher, higher than average minimum wages for our factory workers. We give everyone in the factory the same benefits as you get in the corporate office, um, right? They all get 401k accounts. Like we've created an environment in our factory that is actually very respectable and gives people uh, a place to eat with natural light. And it's like a beautifully designed environment. So like we do a lot to make sure we take care of our employees first because they're the ones making our product. And if they put love into our product, our product is going to be better. But then how do we think about the communities around us and how we're serving them in a way that actually addresses kind of, kind of our core values? And that's why child hunger becomes our focus because it's so much about making sure that everyone has good food. And that's a major problem in this country. So, so that's where I think the connection is made because then if people are buying our yogurt, they know there's a connection to the food and the food serving more than just the, the person who's, who's buying it and putting it on their table at home. And I think that's, that's where I think profit and purpose can kind mm -hmm. of connect. Zoom out for me and talk to me about kind of what the rest of the media channel mix looks like for you guys. What other levers are we pulling, especially in a crowded, expensive um, digital economy right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And another one where I'm digging in now with the team to sort of think through what our strategy should be. And so I'm only a couple of months into sort of thinking about this. And one of the things that I loved to talk about and focus on at Uber, which I'm, I'm thinking a lot about here, which is actions, not advertising. 
you know, I think we live in an age where people are very skeptical of ads and obviously just kind of traditional advertising doesn't really have the same relevance and poignancy. And it's also a very noisy landscape. Um, and so even though you can target, you know, ads, you know, in a more personalized way using digital mediums, it's still, you know, really hard to, to break through. And so, but that's where I think if it comes down back to the values of the company and how you show up in the world, that should be the start of a great marketing program and should be the start of what you think about as advertising, which is to then amplify those experiences. And so what I mean by actions, not ads is starts with the product, right? What kind of new innovations, new flavors, new partnerships that might actually help people see the product differently. And then you have something to have a conversation around when it comes to ads. You think about packaging, right? What we just did with Halloween, right? So you create a whole experience that's both physical and virtual. And then you have the ability to engage in social in a way that actually has some meaning and something for someone to interact with versus just talking at them. Um, you think about the physical store experience. And again, I think, you know, this is still a very relevant channel. Um, there was actually just an article in the Wall Street Journal about sampling and how sampling is kind of now a more effective ROI than, than digital advertising, which I believe, right? You get to try the actual product. And so how might you create new experiences in new channels and new aisles to help people kind of see and discover? And again, use ads to kind of help tell that story, right? Whether before or after. Um, virtual experiences like the metaverse and, and what we can do there. Um, we have a Chobani Cafe, which is a way to engage. So all these become, I think, the foundation to the program. And then the channels kind of amplify and connect people to those experiences. And so then it's about creating content for social, right? And that could be both organic and paid, right? Then it's about creating kind of long form content that could perhaps run as pre-roll on some you know, streaming channel. And so I feel like it, it kind of gives you the ability to then think about the mix in a more customized way. Um, you know, the, the, just to zoom back out for a minute, like as we've been looking at this even this week, Linear TV still plays a big part in the CPG traditional media mix. And that's a lot of the feedback I'm getting from our media agency partner. That's what we're hearing, you know, quote unquote, hearing from consumers in these surveys on what channels are effective, though. You have to wonder how much they understand the difference between linear and addressable and OTC. I mean, really? It's all just video. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So really? Um, so I think video is still critical. I'm not sure about the role of linear TV. I mean, I think that has to be reevaluated as it has been for the last you know, number of years. And there's still a really good place for that, particularly when there's occasions that people are coming together. Live sports. Yeah. Totally. Right. Like uh, kind of live events, I think, are the best example of that. Um, and some content when it's really specific to the brand and how you want to show up, right? And so you think about content with food, for instance, with, for something like Chobani or some of our values. But otherwise, I think it's really kind of moving away from that and having a much more kind of digital and OTT kind of approach to this. Yeah, absolutely. I am curious kind of what that pendulum looks like, given there's more streaming services in the space. Um, and will we ever see a revival of, of, of live linear television um, with live TV and whatnot? Um, and then even with the writer strikes and Hollywood strikes, kind of how that plays into this as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then anyway, how do we reach younger audiences who, you know, don't even think about the television, right? I mean, it's probably not even something they're going to know oh what God. it was in 10 years. <laughs> What's a television, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Having to explain to my niece and nephew that there was at one point several remote controls <laughs> for a single television. Uh, so glad those days are going to be over. <laughs> Actually, um, yeah, I, I think that's something else that's incredibly important to note is just kind of the role that social media plays in you guys' um, marketing strategy. It's obviously, um, you know, a mainstay, if not the bulk of, of, of a lot of digital strategies at this point. But what does that look like for you guys? Are we testing into new channels, threads, TikTok, that type of thing? 
Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone, we're still kind of finding our way. Um, I think we're for an incredibly loved brand that we have some very dedicated followers. But I think it's it's time to step back and think about how do we bring new people into the fold and really expand our community, younger people. And so we've been doing a lot to experiment on TikTok, creating a lot of um, kind of you know UGC like content, both in in not even just in house, like in the office, like literally walking around the floors, talking to employees on the street in front of our cafe, kind of finding ways to use TikTok that I think feels more you know authentic to the medium and, and reaching new new folks. So that's definitely one. I have to say, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of threads. I love your your take on kind of where that is. It feels like it's stalled, you know, big time. And so it's a little hard to know why you'd go from a very visual format on Instagram to threads without kind of the visual kind of occasion and with a very different audience than you have on other platforms. And so I think we're all struggling with that one a bit. But I think it's time to step back for Giovanni anyway and think about what is the role of all these channels? How do we bring new people into the fold, expand our community um, and create content that's truly meaningful and engaging? And again, that comes back to me that to actions, not ads. What are we doing in the world? What are we creating? Um, that's not just for marketing, that's for our product and for the ways that we show up around our values. And then connecting that to content that we wanna put out on different channels for different folks. Um, I also think food is just an incredibly rich category when it comes to, um, you know, thinking about content. Um, and there's so much to explore for the role of yogurt is, and it's just not just the breakfast food. It's something can be used across ethnicities in terms of cooking and across, you know, day parts, um, in terms of meals and occasions. So I think there's a whole lot we can do to explore and engage with people and find new connections um, that we really haven't done yet. Yeah, man. I've seen people putting yogurt on pancakes. I didn't know that was a thing. Yogurt and eggs. We serve an incredible egg um, dish at the Chobani Cafe in Soho that's made of yogurt. So yeah, I mean, dips and spreads, right? Obviously, I mean, there's an incredible Middle Eastern tradition with yogurt. So lots to explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is um, looking at the greater landscape, are there any trends happening in marketing right now that you're excited about? Innovations, experimentations, messaging, that type of thing? Hmm. I mean, I do think thinking about how AI can accelerate some of our creative development, I think excites me and, and not to replace the work of creatives, because I would never suggest that, but I think it just allows you to explore um, and, and ideate in a way that I think we haven't had tools to do before. Um, so I am, I am excited about that one at, at, at that phase of the creative development, not to actually do the work, because um, I think it just kind of opens your minds to possibilities and gets you to see things faster than you might otherwise. And, you know, we, we all can benefit from more speed and agility and how we show up in the world to stay kind of relevant in the moment. So that's certainly something I'm, I'm excited about. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be done, too, around creative messaging testing. And so how do we actually and I think this is often overlooked in tech companies. Maybe it's more practice in CPG companies. But how do we actually make sure that we're using technology um, to, to assess what's working and not working before we invest a whole lot of money and putting, you know, amplification and, and spend behind it? So that's something that I'd love to see. We can do perhaps more agile in more agile ways using technology. So. That's probably another another area that I'm looking to bring to, to the work at Giovanni. Absolutely. Listen, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a lot to do, but it's an exciting time. Um, and there's so much momentum for the brand and for the product and for the business. Um, and so it's just an incredible train to jump on and figure out how do we get it to the next place. 
Fantastic. Well, the train of this conversation is coming to an end. I so appreciate you spending some time with me. Is there anything else I missed asking that you think is important to note? No, I mean, I'm I just you know, maybe a little advertising for marketing at Giovanni. I'm, I'm hiring. I'm looking to build a team and build uh, add people to this incredible crew of designers and, and uh, creative studio that I have in house. And so um, I'm looking for product marketers and consumer marketers. And so if anyone's interested in jumping on this train with us and, uh, you know, riding it quickly to the next stop, um, you know, please reach out. Thomas, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me this afternoon. I really appreciate you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even write and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts.